Welcome to the Geneva Center for Security Policy Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Paul Vallée, Associate Fellow in the Global Fellowship Initiative. For the next few weeks, I'm talking with subject matter experts to discuss issues of peace, security, and international cooperation. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. As you may have heard, a successful law enforcement operation led worldwide by the US, European, Australian, and New Zealand police forces has just concluded against international organized crime and drug trafficking networks, reminding us that the global importance of allied forces in uh, fighting transnational crime. So to discuss this, uh, I'm joined today by one of our guest speakers at this year's recently concluded Leadership in International Security course, Professor Selina Realoyo. Professor Realoyo is Professor of Practice at the William J. Perry Center for Hemispheric Defense Studies at the National Defense University in the United States, where she focuses on U.S. national security, illicit networks, transnational organized crime, counterterrorism, and threat finance issues in the Americas. She's a former U.S. diplomat, also an international banker with Goldman Sachs, U.S. counterterrorism official, and Professor of International Security Affairs at the National Defense, Georgetown, George Washington, and Joint Special Operations Universities. Professor Rialoyo has over two decades of, of, of experience uh, in international public, private, and academic sectors. She's a regular commentator in the international media, including CNN en Español, Deutsche Welle, Foreign Policy, Reuters, and Univision, and has testified before the U.S. Congress on national security, terrorism, and crime issues. Professor Rialoyo is a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, International Institute for Strategic Studies, and Women in International Security. She has traveled to over 70 countries. She speaks English, French, Spanish, and is convergent in Italian, German, Filipino, and Arabic. So with all that combined knowledge, uh, I think you will uh, give us a fabulous insight into transnational crime. So welcome to the podcast, Professor, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Paul, for having me back. You're most welcome. My first question would be to, of course, set the scene. So could you tell us what are the particularities of transnational crime? And do those particularities, when applied to Latin America, differ much from those of other regions? So just take a look at the global perspective and your intro on that massive takedown using technology and international cooperation of law enforcement and intelligence uh, assets is a great publicized achievement to combat transnational organized crime. So we always wonder at why does transnational organized crime exist? It's existed since the days of the Greeks and Romans as we think about contraband, slavery, all of the things that we have now are actually vestiges from ancient times. But what's different now with globalization is with the technology, communications, and the global market, sadly, for drugs, people, weapons, exotic animals, uh, minerals. We've seen this explosion um, across the world. And these groups are most, mostly motivated by one thing, maximizing their profits, but also reducing their risk of getting caught by law enforcement agencies around the world. What we're seeing, though, as well, is that in different parts of the world, there are different characteristics. So you're located in Europe that tends to be a destination country for these illicit um, trafficking issues, especially now for drugs. And the amount of cocaine arriving in Europe is tremendous. As in the United States, we're less interested in consuming cocaine as opposed to um, opioids, which are synthetic drugs. We're seeing this massive flow that had traditionally gone from South America to North America towards European markets. 
So that's an example of how Europe is more of a destination or a consumer destination as opposed to the producers. So in contrast, Latin America has predominantly been for the past 50 years, the main producers of obviously cocaine, but also trades in uh, marijuana and uh, heroin. And more recently, the uh, advent of what we call synthetic drugs, uh, such as opioids, particularly methamphetamine and fentanyl that is impacting the United States tremendously. So just to give you a little context, as I am based in the U.S. and I focus on the U.S., we sadly reached um, over 90,000 uh, drug overdose deaths, mainly due to opioids, uh, just last year. And this was during the pandemic when the markets and points of sale have been closed. So Latin America is a producer, a transit, and uh, more importantly, also now a consumer which had not been the case in the past. So we're starting to see similarities across the world of the uh, importance of reducing demand and even more importantly, socializing and educating the public at how dangerous these drugs, especially combined with synthetics, could be actually lethal. Well, that's uh, already a sobering, uh, a sobering thought. And, and thank you, of course, for highlighting the, the fact how Latin America interacts, in fact, in, in, with other regions uh, in, in, in what is a global problem. So that leads me to my second question, which is... Uh, to wonder whether uh, are Latin American authorities and Latin American solutions best suited to tackle the transnational crime in the region, or uh, would they require a, a more global dimension to the response to that crime with the input of other regions? So in Latin America, we've actually witnessed, unfortunately, many countries struggling to combat transnational organized crime in its different manifestations, right? So we talk about drug trafficking, human smuggling and trafficking, arms and weapons trafficking, and the money laundering that accompanies it. And the, uh, to their credit, many Latin American countries have established the legal frameworks in order to pursue uh, particularly transnational criminal organizations, which means they can, through mutual legal assistance treaties and through sharing intelligence and information, they've been able to collaborate, particularly with us uh, in the United States, on massive operations. But the problem that you have is the issue of not just corruption, but weak institutions, even institutions that are infiltrated. And this is something that we've actually seen as uh, an inherent challenge. But also the question is, how can other partner nations help the Latin American countries in their fight against transnational organized crime. And this is where we see a lot of help coming from Europe, as well as the United States, in terms of technical assistance and training to help build up the security forces, whether they be police or gendarmerie, as well as trying to uh, fortify their judicial systems, right, in order to actually bring the criminals to justice. And sadly, that's where we see a lot of uh, high levels of impunity. Just to give you an example, in Mexico, only 3% of crimes are reported and brought to trial. So that leaves 97% in the case of impunity. Wow. Well, that's uh, also uh, pretty, uh, pretty sobering. And uh, well, uh, something that affects, of course, uh, Latin America on, on that scale. But um, can you tell us how much does transnational crime in Latin America impact on the region's governance? You know, when you're mentioning that, of course, 
and, and, and what it does to otherwise the region's potential contribution to global governance. So this is actually the key issue that was uh, touched upon um, by both President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. They've just uh, embarked on a new initiative, kind of trying to foster and more importantly promote anti-corruption problems through for U.S. foreign assistance. And this perhaps is the greatest challenge, and if not the greatest threat, even more so than transnational crime, is corruption. Why do I say that? So corruption is not just an enabler of crime, but it's actually the product of crime, and it's a crime in and of itself. So we even have talked about, unfortunately, in certain parts of uh, Latin America, uh, certain parts of Mexico, Central America, and Brazil, we speak about ungoverned spaces where the governments are so weak or so corrupted that the actual criminal groups and gangs and cartels are the ones that are providing basic government services. And we saw this during the pandemic. There are actually boxes of like little um, uh, do-it-yourself kits with food, vitamins, masks, hand sanitizer, with the logo of El Chapo Guzman, the head of the Sinaloa cartel's face, imprinted on the box. So it was an example of how the cartel, in this case, the Sinaloa cartel, was trying to win the hearts and mind of the local population who will be their accomplices um, as we come out of the pandemic and be more loyal to the cartel than to actually denounce cartel activities uh, to the government. And we actually have, sadly, the example of Venezuela under the Maduro regime, which is in it of itself claimed to be a mafia or actually a narco state. Uh, it's an example of how Maduro and his associates use the monopoly of the use of violence and the armed security services to run an illicit economy. They survive through the illicit sale of oil, illegally mined gold, as well as the movement of uh, tons of cocaine that are actually sadly destined to where you are, Paul, uh, in Europe. And we anticipate that as the economies start to open up, and sadly, too, as consumers are looking uh, for that high, that new high, we're actually anticipating a spike in cocaine trafficking um, as uh, international trade and flights uh, and economies, because the point of sale has been where that's been the chokehold as the quarantines and the curfews and the shutdowns that have been part of the COVID response policies have actually impeded the distribution of drugs. And sadly, too, we're seeing already that the levels of addiction because of the mental health issues associated with the lockdowns are starting to uh, creep up. And that's why we're really worried about an explosion of not just uh, of drug consumption, and to meet that drug consumption, uh, massive amounts of uh, illicit drug flows around the world, not just in certain regions, but it's something that we're anticipating will be a global wave. Uh, it's uh, uh, perhaps uh, difficult to say at this uh, juncture, given what you've uh, just explained to us, uh, but uh, if we're dreaming about uh, bringing solutions to uh, transnational crime in Latin America, uh, do you think they, these solutions might be able to deliver what you've also alluded to, you know, quality improvements to the region's uh, security and prosperity. But could that happen in a relatively short term, whether the solutions are implemented or are they more likely to require a longer span of time to take effect? So one of the most important tools that any government has is the use of its security forces to uh, counter and combat very well-armed and very well-resourced uh, transnational criminal organizations. So professionalizing a country's military and police forces, 
um, that uh, respect the rule of law and human rights is essential for short term and long term. Um, and we've seen several countries invest time, money, um, and resources in trying to build those up. So I just, I spend a lot of time in Colombia and Mexico. I'm actually mm -hmm. going to be in Mexico next month. And we've seen how they've even set up a new arm, which is called the National Guard, that is dealing with border security, but also trying to counter the cartels. Um, what we've sadly seen, though, in the case of Mexico, as well as more recently in Colombia, with the social protests, mm -hmm. is sadly a handful of those officers have committed human rights atrocities. And they need to be brought to justice in order to maintain the uh, confidence of the population. Um, that they're there to serve them and protect them and focus on what we call citizen security. Unfortunately, also we've seen that there are cases of corruption within the armed forces and the police. And that's why I still am um, focused on what can be done in a societal level, right, to combat corruption, because everyone is a victim of corruption. So when we think about capital flights, or the illicit economy that creates distortions um, in market pricing. And what's very different in Latin America compared to other parts of the world is that the violence mm -hmm. that is accompanying the drug trafficking and human trafficking is much higher than other parts of the world. And it's hard to explain. There are people who've tried to do it from a, uh, a societal or cultural perspective, but they've gotten into a lot of trouble for being politically correct. But just the homicide rates per 100,000 are extremely high in countries like Venezuela, Colombia, Jamaica in the Caribbean, and in Mexico. And that's what we've seen that's very different than other parts of the world. Um, and it's always this fight for the actual distribution and the roots, but also the money. And uh, this is something that we're trying to uh, understand how you can instill long-term enduring institutions that will be as respected as they have been in the past. So even during the pandemic, uh, the military in most Latin American countries continues to be the most trusted institution, followed by the Catholic Church, just to give you some uh, perspective. But these are long-term uh, investments. Mm -hmm. And also you have to create and look at the next generation, right? Who you select, how you train them, and most importantly, how you pay them. Because mm -hmm. that's what's happening is the cartels and the gangs are paying them more right, through uh, bribes than the actual monthly salaries that they get. So I think definitely uh, perhaps more of a long-term, uh, more of a long-term effort uh, in order to, of course, make that an enduring one uh, as well, too. My final question would be whether you think it's possible to envision a period in which Latin America might effectively break free of the uh, grip of transnational crime, uh, might it uh, do that before other regions? It's difficult to see, and I have to, hate to be so pessimistic, but if I, through my research this past year, I actually posit that transnational criminal organizations in all parts of the world have actually been empowered by the pandemic. Mm. So why do I say that? What's interesting is that they were not uh, impeded the way we anticipated that they would have been by the lockdowns and the global paralysis of international trade. What they figured out was how to do workarounds, right? So they actually figured out in terms of from being global criminal groups, they went local, like creating their own drug laboratories closer to home so they can control the supply chain. The other thing is too, we've actually seen rampant cases of corruption where criminal organizations around the world are not just financing political campaigns, they're running their own candidates. So what is the antidote? I go back to the issue of rooting out corruption. 
So we've actually seen uh, tremendous progress at international fora trying to A, raise the issue of corruption and then more importantly, invest in many, many more programs to fight corruption and something that I specifically follow, which are illicit financial flows. So without the money, these groups cannot survive. And without corruption, they will not have the environment in which they can thrive. So this is a bigger question also of how, what is the antidote? The antidote is socioeconomic developments in illicit, in illicit economy in order to mitigate the temptation of being recruited. We speak a lot about youth at risk. And this is something that we're also very worried about as um, kind of one of the side effects of the pandemic. All these students who are not in school uh, looking for something to do, but also in desperation, they might be recruited by gangs and criminal organizations much more easily than they had been in the past. And this is something that is important as a call to action at the societal level. Many of us spent time watching uh, Netflix and Amazon Prime, in which the protagonists, we've actually seen uh, sadly, Hollywood glorifying transnational criminal networks, right? So if you think about the Narcos uh, series in Netflix about the Colombian cartels or Ben Affleck in The Accountants, that is actually a movie that also talks about how this person is just in it for the money. He was laundering money for terrorist groups and criminal organizations and different mafias. Or the series called Taken, I think you remember this, which is about human trafficking. And sadly, these are based on uh, vignettes that are real. Mm -hmm. And we have to realize that it's not victimless. And I think there's been great strides made in terms of combating drug trafficking. We've been doing that for 50 years. But in more recent years, the scourge of human trafficking and modern slavery uh, and the money with the exposure of the Panama Papers and most recently the FinCEN files, we've seen a greater awareness. So the bigger question is, what can governments do uh, at the national level and at the multilateral level in order to put all of these uh, well-intentioned anti-corruption and counter-crime programs into practice? And that's what's going to be the challenge that we see in the post-pandemic with governments who are fiscally challenged because of the overhang of what we call the health and economic recovery that countries need at the national level? And then how can we foster international cooperation? So there are ways to do it. And I still think a lot of it has to do with educating our young people, right? To understand and not accept um, uh, a political and national context filled with corruption. And that doesn't actually bring those who engage in corruption to justice. So we're hopeful that I think the stark reality as we come out of the pandemic is going to uh, show us opportunities, but we have to do it smarter because we anticipate there'll be actually less resources. And then technology, the bust that you explained at the opening um, of our session is a great example of how also technology is our friend mm -hmm. if we use it well and we use it uh, in collaboration with other law enforcement forces around the world, we can really make great strides. And remember, that's just one of the things that's been publicized. Mm -hmm. I assure our uh, listeners that there are hardworking military intelligence and law enforcement uh, agents around the world uh, working 24 hours a day to fight the scourge of transnational organized crime.
Well, uh, you've given us also a truly uh, global uh, span to, uh, of course, the magnitude of this uh, issue. And we can obviously uh, talk on many, many uh, podcasts and shows. We'll perhaps have the occasion to do so uh, more, but uh, that's all we'll have time for today. So I wish to thank you, Professor Selena Rialoyo, for your many thoughtful insights on this uh, issue uh, on today's program. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. To our listeners as well, thank you for joining us. And uh, please uh, join us again next week to hear more about issues of peace, security, and international cooperation. I'll remind you that uh, you can uh, follow us on Anchor FM and on Apple iTunes. You can subscribe also uh, to us on Spotify and on SoundCloud. I'm Dr. Paul Vallée with the Geneva Center for Security Policy. And until next time, bye-bye.